But still the Irish can knock him off on this snap. Russian three, dropping eight. Uyangalale steps up, no. loads and throws. It's caught. It's pitched backwards, up in the air. It's on the ground, still in Clemson's hands. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. All right, big episode today. Welcome into the latest episode of Sun Saturday. I'm Tyler Ojek with Luke Smith alongside, and we are just a few days away from the rematch we've all been waiting for as Notre Dame is set to take on Clemson in the ACC Championship game Saturday afternoon in Charlotte. We're going to get into our preview of that game, updating you on what's happened since Notre Dame won the last meeting between the two schools on November 7th. We'll break down both sides of the ball and give our score predictions. Then we got two awesome interviews. We got the chance to talk to Torrey Hunter Jr. and Nick Wisher, two former Notre Dame players. Both of them were great to talk to. But Luke, before we get into Clemson, we have to mention the big news of the day. ESPN senior writer Adam Rittenberg broke the news this morning that current Notre Dame defensive coordinator Clark Lee is going to take the head coaching position at Vanderbilt, his alma mater, um, with the official announcement coming late Monday night. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we all kind of thought maybe this was inevitable. I think we got pushed off by some false aspersions that Vanderbilt's athletic director said she was looking for an offensive mind, but um, now it's coming out that Clark Lee was their number one target all along. So um, honestly, can't be too upset about it. It's uh, it's a good opportunity for him to go back home, go to his alma mater. Not an easy job, but you know, first he's got to knock off this job we got in front of us the next three to four weeks here and, and close off this playoff run, which he will do, he said, and finish his duties at Notre Dame, and hopefully we can send him on top uh, with the national championship, at least for now, because I know there are a lot of fans out there that hope that someday he might return when Brian Kelly decides to step down. But congratulations to Clark Lee, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how these next couple weeks go. I know, when that job opening became available, I pretty much thought it was a foregone conclusion that Lee was going to go up until their athletic director, Candace Lee, said they were looking for an offensive-minded coach. And I thought, wow, I guess the only hope for Notre Dame in retaining Lee is that Vanderbilt just screws this up because, you know, a very smart school, their athletic department hasn't been... Um, shall we say, stellar <laughs> over the past couple of decades. So, yeah, a little bit disappointing initially, obviously, with Clark Lee being a huge part of Notre Dame's success for the last few years. And it's going to be a really tough task ahead of him when Lee was a fullback at Vanderbilt from 2002 through 2004. They went 2-10, and 2-10, and 2-9. and <laughs> So winning at Vanderbilt isn't easy. He knows that more than anyone. But maybe this is his chance to uh, turn the program around for the better. Yeah, I guess he and Jerry Stackhouse will have to commiserate because Jerry Stackhouse hasn't had an easy job trying to turn around Commodore basketball either. But it's uh, it's an opportunity, and I think just knowing what we've heard about Clark Lee, what we've observed the last four seasons during his time at Notre Dame is that success isn't necessarily marked in wins and losses, and he's always been known as kind of just a molder of young men and a, and a teacher first, and I think in all, his alma mater is probably where he sees is the best place to do that. So wishing him the best of luck, but obviously we have bigger fish to fry, and, and yes, this playoff run is much bigger fish to fry than anything that will ever happen with Vanderbilt football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the people who want Clark Lee to come back right with Kelly Rich. Tires. I think 
in order for that to happen, Lee needs to have like just enough success at Vanderbilt that proves he can be a really good head coach, you know, turn the program around a little bit, but not too much because if he has too much success, then he's not going to want to leave. So like right right in that eight and four threshold that proves, Hey, you know, I'm a good coach, but this is Vanderbilt still. (laughs) We're in the sec. We're going to get our asses kicked by Alabama and schools like that. So if he could just get right around there, I'm cool with that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now let's get to uh, the ACC's championship game. Both teams have pretty much dominated every single team they've faced since that game. Notre Dame beat Boston College, North Carolina, and Syracuse by an average margin of 17.3 points per game. Clemson game against Florida State was canceled. They probably would have won that game by 200 had they actually played because they were so pissed. Uh, Then they beat Pittsburgh by 35 and Virginia Tech by 35, although that game was almost tied at the half. Uh, I was watching that. Virginia Tech threw a Hail Mary right before the end of the first half. They caught it, but he was, went out of bounds at the one. Since then, both teams had two weeks to prepare. And look, I'm curious, are we going to see paralysis by analysis with so much time to prepare in one game just over a month ago to sort of build off of for both coaching staffs? It's a good point, but to me, I, I don't know. I, I think this is going to be decided the, the way the first one was, and that comes to whoever is more physical. In the first time around, it was Notre Dame, and that made all the difference in this ball game. And, and I don't see why that would change the second time, but I guess we can get into that. Yeah, I think both coaching staffs have said sort of the same thing. Like Clemson, Davos Woody's basically said, hey, we're worried about Clemson. We're worried about what we did wrong in that game. You know, he admitted that Notre Dame did dominate the line of scrimmage. They forced some turnovers and that Clemson was kind of lucky to be in that game because, let's be honest, even though Noreen played great, they did leave a ton of points on the board, especially yep. early on. Yeah, definitely. A um, couple field goals. Obviously, the fumble in the third quarter also loomed large for most of that game. So that's why, you know, there are a lot of people out there that's a Notre Dame got every break the first time around with guys out. They basically did everything they could have done to win the game, and I completely – disagree with that notion because they left so many points on the field and that's what gives me even more hope going into this game on Saturday yeah and I think when that game went into overtime I mean Notre Dame's red zone struggles this season have been well documented even in that game they're really struggling to get in the end zone and then you know in both overtimes they scored touchdowns with ease so I guess maybe that's a positive sign uh, for things to come in this one because that's obviously going to be a priority Notre Dame has to score a touchdown pretty much every time they get into the red zone. At least that's what I think of this game. Yeah, and I guess maybe we can get a little bit to to what I think we need to see when Notre Dame has the ball. And like I mentioned, just like in the first matchup, it's going to come down to the point of attack. And the question I have is, can Notre Dame's offensive line put on the same performance it did in round one? Because Notre Dame beat the hell out of Clemson from the, the point of attack on November 7th. We've talked about it, and Dabo Sweeney said as much in his press conference this week. You know, He said they got their butts kicked. Obviously, things have shuffled a little bit for Notre Dame since that matchup. Jarrett Patterson, who I have said before, I think is the best center in the country, lost for the season uh, to a broken foot. And Tommy Kramer is set to play, but he'll be doing so just two weeks after an appendectomy. Got to wonder what lingering effects he might have there. And, And Patterson was really critical in round one. And Venables was throwing double A gap blitzes at him all game, and he handled it. Can Zeke Carell do that? We'll have to find out. But I'm sure Venables has it very much within his game plan to, to try to test him and, and try to expose him early on. Oh, all game. And he said, too, that Clemson lost a ton of one-on-one matchups, specifically to Kyron Williams. You know, his performance as a pass blocker in that game, 
you know, we've talked about it at length. A bunch of people have. And do you know how good you have to be as a running back and pass pro for people to like really talk about and how Bruce Feldman wrote a lengthy 23 out of 23 good. Yeah. So you got to do that. He basically is going to be expected. I don't think, you know, you can't duplicate a performance like that. Like that's all time, but he is going to have to step up yet again. And maybe even more, Um, you know, Venables loves to blitz. And if he sees a sophomore role retro freshman center i imagine he's just going to turn it up even more and continue to blitz double a gap all game right now something that tommy Rees did a brilliant job of in that first matchup was mixing up formations and, and play calls to protect ian buck and the notre dame offense really paid a huge role in their large success on third down in that contest notre dame was 10 and 19 on third down in that game and outside of that game, no team has converted better than 38% of third downs in a game against Clemson this season. Meanwhile, Notre Dame has been one of the best teams all year in the country on third down, converting over 50%. I think they're ranked like ninth in the country. And so if Notre Dame's protection can be as good as it was on November 7th, and Reese has had two weeks to really mix up different formations and, and play calls, then I think we're going to be in good shape. Um, you know, I would actually really recommend uh, Jamie you. Uyema at Irish Sports Daily wrote a really good piece on kind of some of the things that Rees did in that last matchup, how they were able to get separation and convert on those third downs. So please check that out. I thought it was really good. But if Notre Dame can do that again, and Rees has had a lot of time to do that, I think we'll be in good shape. But obviously, Clemson gets some guys back, and namely that's James Skowski and, and Tyler Davis. And we've talked about it. Skowski really makes that defense go. Without him when he got tossed or targeting last year in the national title game, that game turned, and without him on November 7th, uh, Ian Book ran for twice as many yards as Travis Etienne did in that game. <laughs> However, you know there does appear to be a little bit uncertainty regarding his health. I-, I thought that Brent Venables had a really, really odd quote about it when asked today. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. Um, he said, I don't know if he's 100%. I don't ask that question. Sometimes you've got to be careful to ask questions you're not prepared to hear the answer to. So... I mean, to me, that doesn't really sound like he's close to 100%. I don't really care what they say. Yeah. On one hand, that could be true. I guess play devil's advocate. That could just be coach speak, and he could be completely fine, and Venables is just saying that to throw off the scent. I don't really know, but it's even more of an effector this game because uh, Venables' son, Jake, the backup to Skalski, broke his arm. So he's out. So if Skalski's out, then they're looking at a third string middle linebacker. So I don't really know what to expect there, but Skalski's a tough dude. Uh, he's a gamer. I at least expect him to dress and start um, his production though, throughout the game as it wears on. I think that's sort of the question here. Yeah. I mean, and he did just play five snaps against Fatak. So they said that was precautionary. Nobody really seems to know what's going on. Obviously you got to prepare for him to be there in full force, but, but we'll have to see. And, so what do we have to do in order to, to have the performance on offense to catapult us to a victory? We need to try to replicate that sort of third-down success we had on November 7th, and a lot of that's going to come from the battle in the trenches. Uh, you know, you need Ian Book to play the kind of game he's been playing the last month. Frankly, to me, I don't see why we wouldn't win that battle in the trenches. Yes, I know I've mentioned the shuffling of the offensive line due to injuries, but the way this Notre Dame team is built, like, you know, that's really the one position where they can reload there. And the way that they played against Clemson on November 7th was more of a mindset where they were just taking it to him physically. And we've been doing that 
all year. Um, we're just wearing teams down all game. And obviously it's Clemson. It's not North Carolina or uh, Louisville or somebody like that. But, like, I just really like the way this offense is built. And I think we tire enough teams out. You get Kyron a steady dose in, in the fourth quarter. We're rolling. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, Brett Venables has – Never coached against a team twice in the same season while at Clemson. And you might think a, a second shot for Venables puts Notre Dame at a, at a disadvantage, but I don't really know about that. You know, when we had Stanford Steve on, he said that he thought Venables used a lot of bullets in his gun round one. And like I said, he's never done it in the same season twice. So there's no telling kind of what this means. That's true. I love that we could keep going back to that Stanford Steve quote. I think he's right uh, to a degree, but one thing. One thing that I noticed during my 20 rewatches of that Clemson game is that it was sort of like a slow burn after, you know, Kyron's right. 65-yard run in the first play. Because then after that, Clemson kind of held Notre Dame's rushing attack in check with the exception of Book. You know, Kyron wasn't breaking off a bunch of like you know, 15, 20-yard runs. But throughout the course of the game, as Notre Dame's offensive line sort of imposed their will, it opened it up in the overtimes and late in the game for Notre Dame to run the ball effectively because they just kind of wore down Clemson's uh, D-line and linebackers. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. But here's the thing, like, Notre Dame's offense is very legit and I think often gets overshadowed by this defense. And when you look at people nationally and then just paranoid Notre Dame fans who are afraid that, you know, this is just going to be a repeat of what we've seen on big stages so many times, even though we did beat Clemson the first time around and maybe we're just not getting any credit for that, Notre Dame is, is sixth in points per possession in 2020, and there's only two Power 5 offenses ahead of them. That's Alabama and Clemson. We're ninth in S&P and, and FEI. And meanwhile, like in 2018, we were 33rd and 29th in those categories. And in 2012, we were 35th and 25th in those categories. Like We're just at a different level than we have been in the past when we've gotten into these big games, and, and I think that's going to show up. And, and frankly – those stats and, and the fact that shit we already took it to Clemson physically <laughs> like it really pisses me off that people just think it's inevitable Clemson's going to win this game by two scores and I think that should motivate this group a lot to win Saturday and we can has and will will be able to score against Clemson so I, I think that's a big role in, in playing um, helping us getting getting it done on Saturday in Charlotte yeah I'd love to know how much the players are reading into the sort of the commentary about this game because in the regular season game Notre Dame was actually kind of a trendy pick nationally certainly not the case now I think Vegas has the line last I checked at 10 and a half which is I mean I know Trevor's back and it's on a neutral field but damn dude. It's, yeah. it's egregious like I, I don't know like I just don't think the people in Vegas watch game one which I thought they did because I thought they lost a lot of money but um, like it, it blows my mind. I don't get it. Like how Trevor Lawrence is going to be a 17 and a half point difference, but go figure. Yeah. Let's get into that. When Clump says the ball, Trevor Lawrence is back. So what does that mean? I've thought about this a lot lately because obviously in the first game, DJ Uyunglele played phenomenal. You know, he finished 29 to 44 through 439 yards, which is the most ever by an opposing quarterback against an area defense. And he didn't throw a pick. So what more could, Trevor do really in the passing game I don't think we can look at it from like a statistical standpoint because how Trevor Lawrence's stats they might not be as good at least through the air but for all intents and purposes the playoffs have started for Clemson and that's a scary thought because they're playing with a little bit of desperation they might have a little bit more edge and think about it like Lawrence is 
one of the best college football players you and I will ever see. And if they lose on Saturday, his college career is over. Like, I, there's no way I can see him. I mean, maybe he'll play in the bowl game, but I doubt it. Doesn't count. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He stands nothing to gain from that, only to lose. He could only get hurt. So in that situation, I would be shocked if he played. And I'm sure he knows that. Like, I'm sure he's going to come out with an edge in this one because, like I said, his college career is on the line. And I think the biggest key for him, or at least maybe the biggest difference he'll make in this one, is with his legs. Because against Ohio State in the festival last year, Lawrence had 107 rushing yards. He outgained ETN by like over 60. He had 16 carries, granted a few of them were sacks, but he was running a lot of designed runs because Ohio State, similar to what Notre Dame did in the first one, just really tried to bottle up ETN on the ground. He became way more effective as a receiver in that one, but Lawrence was their most explosive running threat. That 67-yard crib call, I was on the field for that right in front of the Clemson section. That was one of the craziest plays like I've ever witnessed and they just erupted and he showed emotion for the first time. And in the first matchup, DJ didn't run much at all, which I thought was kind of surprising because like we know he can run. He had that 30 yard rushing touchdown against Boston college. So he clearly can. So he was pretty much a non-factor in the read option game. And that's where I expect Lawrence to maybe uh, make a big difference, especially in RPO situations. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, and it brings me back to that Fiesta Bowl game last year where that was really the first time we'd ever seen Lawrence use his legs like that, and it kind of came about as a matter of desperation, and you wonder if that's what happens here, like, you know, where they're really playing for their playoff lives. They got to use another tool, which is kind of a weird way of thinking of it because if he's that good, why not just use it more often? But I think something that we got to consider here is, like, he and you you've talked about it like he takes a lot of hits he doesn't slide a lot and I don't know that you can do that against a defense like Notre Dame he never slides I don't know if he's because he's big or he's trying to send a message that he's tough like granted he is really tough we know that no one no one is denying that because I think he ran for that touchdown like two plays after that targeting call against Ohio State last year which Mm -hmm. he took a huge hit on that and then he was like screw it 67 yard run I think he broke two Ohio State defenders' ankles on the way in. But all throughout that game, the people I was watching it with were like, go down, dude, because I bet on Clemson that game, so I was rooting for him hard. Like, just get on the ground. Why are you standing straight up and, like, lowering your shoulder in these hits against Ohio State who had, like, four draft picks on that defense? So maybe the reason that Tony Elliott doesn't want him running the ball is because he just won't slide. He just sacrifices his body, which probably isn't good for the team in the long term. Yeah, it's a good point, and I wouldn't be shocked, but... I don't know. I I really would be surprised if we did not see that incorporated into the game plan Saturday afternoon. So yeah, like I said, I don't know if Lawrence is going to throw for more than 439 yards. I sure hope he doesn't. But yeah, things that maybe that don't show up on the stat sheet, maybe it's making the right read on a RPO where instead of giving it to ETN, he tucks and runs it or he, he finds the hot route across the middle on a slant. You know, little things like that build up and could be the difference maker. Now, granted, Notre Dame's defense is very, very good. Last time they held Clemson to 4-15 on third down conversions last game. This is obviously going to be priority on both sides. Notre Dame is going to be trying to maintain that effort. Clemson's trying to fix that. Clemson went 2-6 of on third and short, though, which kind of comes down to Notre Dame dominating the line of scrimmage. So I don't know what more schematically you can do there, I guess. Well... I'll I'll play devil's advocate a little bit here. 
I think some of that, though, is where you might see a difference with Trevor Lawrence, a more veteran quarterback recognizing yeah. things at the line of scrimmage. And, like, that was just a freshman quarterback, you know, getting a little bit confused, and, and that's why they didn't pick up some of those thirds and shorts. So that's where I could legitimately see a little bit of a difference from Lawrence in this game. Yeah, and this has sort of been the story for Notre Dame all season, and a big part of that is the average third down against this Notre Dame defense is eight and a half yards, which is a ton. Yeah. <laughs> and that starts with good rushing defense on first and second down. Notre Dame held Clemson to 34 rushing yards in the first matchup. I think you pretty much have to expect some sort of letdown here against the best running back right. in football and a quarterback that, like we said, can run. But then again, like considering what they did to the North Carolina running backs, uh, Javante <laughs> Williams and Michael Carter, who just ran for over 500 yards against Miami, who's ranked number 10 and actually had a pretty good rushing defense going into that game compared to the 87 against Notre Dame. It's hard for me to imagine the drop-off there will be that significant. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Miami obviously grossly overrated per usual, but yeah, still, typical. like, the fact, the way those guys went off and just kind of, like, the limited stuff those guys did against Notre Dame where Ade Ugandeji was just able to run them down on outside runs. Uh, I don't know. It, it's a stout defensive line, and I'm really excited to see how they do this Saturday and, and how ETN you got to think he's going to bounce back. He's one of the most dynamic players in college football, but will it matter if they can't, you know, get off if the offensive line doesn't do their job? Yeah, and you mentioned the defensive line. Notre Dame's defensive line played pretty well, but they didn't get to DJ until the overtimes on that last drive when they got two sacks in a row. Uh, there this week, Notre Dame is getting Jason Adamalola back on the D-line. He's been out with a meniscus injury, as as well as Jacob Lacey, which is good because we know Notre Dame likes to rotate a lot in the defensive line. And they're going to have to get after Trevor Lawrence with four guys, maybe three even sometimes, because... Lawrence is so dynamic as a passer, you're not going to be able to blitz because he, he could be able to pick that apart. So I think the biggest thing to watch when Clemson's the ball is going to be how Notre Dame's defensive backs handle Lawrence because um, Notre Dame has struggled against the deep ball this season, and Trevor Lawrence is damn good at throwing the deep ball, and he throws it a lot. 20% of his passing attempts this year have been over 20 yards or more. Sam Howell at North Carolina, they try to attack Notre Dame's defensive backs with deep balls early, and like we said, it doesn't really matter when the quarterback doesn't have time to get rid of the ball. So Notre Dame's defensive line is going to have to get after him a lot. Otherwise, you know, we love Nick McLeod and Clarence Lewis, CPA, but you give Clemson enough chances, they're probably going to convert on a couple of those. Right, and that's why you're so right. It, it all comes down to the defensive line having the same kind of performance they had against North Carolina where they really just made Sam Howell and those receivers a non-factor. If they can do that, I, I still don't think – I honestly don't think Clemson's offensive line is that great. Like, it's fine, but it's not your typical Clemson offensive line. If they can get after them and put Lawrence on the ground a few more times than they put DJ on the ground, we'll be in really good spot. Yep, and I think in order to do that, they need production from the guys of the middle, specifically Drew White. Uh, linebacker and Kurt Heinisch, both of them had just phenomenal games last time. We talked about them both in that recap episode. I think Drew White, yeah, he had six solo tackles and a tackle for a loss, and he was just all over the field. And him and Heinisch were considered like a, almost like the weak link against a team like Clemson. They stepped up to the challenge. So, yeah, Notre Dame is going to need pretty much identical, if not better, performances from those guys in order to win this one. But um, I feel pretty confident in this defense, as I have all season. And, you know, this is another huge spot for them against a great offense. But I think they'll be up for it. Absolutely. Should we get on to predictions? <laughs> well, last time you picked Notre Dame to win by, what, 12? 
Uh, that sounds right. I, I Have you know. tamed was, your expectations for this one? What do you got? Well, I guess it depends on how you measure taming expectations. Um, <laughs> yes. In it, it, the, the short answer is yes, but I guess I'll get into it a little bit. Like we mentioned the line earlier, 10 and a half. It's ludicrous. Like I really cannot believe that line. It is incredibly disrespectful. More disrespectful than the 16 and a half point spread against Georgia last year because that was that was heinous. <laughs> See, honestly, at the time, I didn't think that was that ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> different year, different yeah. different scenario. Yeah. Um, but, like, I just can't believe this line. Like, I, And it just shows you how fickle and stupid, like, the so-called national media can be. Like, they just completely discredit what happened the first time around and how that game was won. But I thought Vegas was smarter than that. I guess not. Uh, Notre Dame's a legit, legit team. And, and they beat these guys, hit them in the mouth the first time out. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence, probably the best player in the sport, and, and he's lost one game he's played in since high school. Um, that's that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> However, I think Notre Dame wins this game much like they did the first one with, with physicality, and I think it's a, a one-possession game down to the wire, and how awesome would it be to see us end it with one of our signature six-minute drives just pounding the ball down the field, out-physicaling the other team, um, we rank fourth in red zone rushing touchdowns nationally. And boy, I would love to see this game end in 14 personnel where the Irish have 10 carries this season for eight touchdowns. Um, why not make it 11 for nine? I, I just think winning the game that way would just legitimize victory. Um, people still are, you know, poking holes in what happened on November 7th, which is just never going to happen. But if you get this one, and then obviously we can talk about the playoff down the road. Like, I don't care. There's no asterisk next to any of this. You hit him in the face. There's nothing fluky about it. Show that Notre Dame's a force and a force to be reckoned with. I got the Irish 35-28. Okay, now before I give mine, I need to preface this with an apology to the entire Notre Dame fan base, the team, everyone involved, because it's looking like Luke and I are going to be in the stands for this one. <laughs> Shout out to our great friend Walker Cullinan for hooking us up with tickets. Really looking forward to it. Going to be an awesome time. My my record at big games of any teams I like is bad, especially postseason. And not only is it bad, they always get destroyed. <laughs> First one I could think of, 2012 National Championship against Miami. Yep. That was <laughs> disaster. That game was over quickly. Uh, then the next one, I went to the World Series. Um <laughs> The Cleveland Indians. Can I still say that? Yeah, it's fine. You got another year. <laughs> yeah, the Cleveland Indians uh, in Game Six against your Cubs. I think they lost twelve to three. It was like Sounds seven. To, yeah, seven to one after like the second inning, and most recently, the semifinal against Clemson. Notre Dame lost thirty to three. So something's got to give in this one, right? I mean, I can't be that much of a curse. We said last time, ain't no You're curses. You're not. You're exactly. not. Ain't no curses. Ain't no curses. If ain't no curses holds this game, which I think it will. Notre Dame's going to win 34-31. Like I mentioned, this is a playoff game for Clemson. Uh, it might not be for Notre Dame. Who knows? I mean, I think most people would see, given the disparity between the top four and everyone else, Notre Dame should be in the playoff right now, no matter what happens on Saturday. But The last thing you want to be is dependent on a very arbitrary committee to make these rulings that really don't have any you know definitive basis behind any of them. Exactly, and I don't want to be watching like Alabama, Florida, sweating because I don't know if Notre Dame's going to make it. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think Notre Dame's going to win. But I expect Clemson to come out hot. They're pissed off about the last game. And they should be. Notre Dame took their manhood on national television. I think <laughs> How many people watch that game, Luke? 
uh, I don't know. A lot, a lot of people. A lot, a lot of millions. A lot of people in the ring took their manhood in front of all of them. And look, every championship team has to come back at some point. I think Notre Dame has only trailed for like 50 minutes in the entire season. They've only trailed for 50 minutes. And now... In the last game, they obviously had to come back and score on that final drive to tie it, to send it into overtime. I get that. But they haven't really been down early. They haven't really had to make a charge after halftime. And I think that happens with pretty much every championship team, and I think that's going to happen in this one. Clemson might get in a few punches early, but I expect Notre Dame to tighten it up in the second half, much like they did against North Carolina. And look, man, I'm going to ride with Ian Book into the gates of hell. (laughs) So I think he will lead the boys back. X-Factor, Jonathan Doerr, we needed him in the first game. We're going to need him again. Makes kicks that matter. Kicks that matter. Every single kick in this game matters, so he's just nails. Notre Dame 34, Clemson 31. All right, I'm sold. All right. All right, well, that does it for the Clemson game. Like I said, we got two awesome interviews. We'll run the Torrey Hunter Jr. one first. He was great, and then we'll talk to Nick Wisher, um, and then we'll wrap it up at the end. Okay, our next guest is former Notre Dame receiver and current player in the Los Angeles Angels organization, Torrey Hunter Jr. Torrey, right off the bat, I mean, what have these past couple months been like for you? Minor league baseball has been in the news a whole lot lately. So how have you been holding up through it all? Uh, uh, just making it, man. That's probably the, the best way I can put it. It's definitely been tough uh, at times uh, with the uncertainty, obviously, and then the lack of you know communication of just like, hey, this is what we're going to do. There's re- not really a plan for anything. Uh, so, you know, that's been kind of tough. But um yeah, man, just taking it day by day, continuing to work on my craft and, you know, just trying to prepare myself uh, for when we do come back so that I can be, you know, actually ready to go out there and perform and, and make make a jump. So that's really been my main focus. Uh, like I said, it's been tough at times mentally, uh, physically, just not knowing what you're ramping up to, not knowing, you know, hey, spring training is on this day. This is, you know, what you're working toward. You're just kind of working aimlessly. Um you know, it's kind of tough, but uh, like I said, just trying to focus on uh, my weaknesses and, and get better where I can. Yeah, no, it, it definitely sounds like a grind. And I think everybody listening is probably familiar with your football career, but you've been on that baseball grind full time for a couple of years now. So how did you start getting noticed? How did that really become a thing? You know, getting noticed by major league scouts when I think you only had like, what, 14 plate appearances in college? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I think I think it kind of came in like BP sessions in practice, honestly. Uh, in BP, I would try to like, I was like one of the few guys that was like out there hustling for, for balls in BP and like trying to make plays and everything like that. Uh, just so whenever I got on the field, I tried to make some kind of an impact. I guess they saw some of the tools that I had and it was appealing to some of the teams. Uh, you know, I was trying to hit balls every way in, in uh you know, gap to gap and BP and uh, hit balls out every once in a while just to show a little power. Like I said, just trying to show my tools any way I could whenever I got there on the field. You didn't start playing baseball at Notre Dame until your sophomore year. And considering you were there in a football scholarship, how were you able to find a role on the baseball team there? Yeah, man, I just, I don't know. I, I kind of got recruited uh, for baseball uh, at Notre Dame uh, prior to my football scholarship uh I was went to uh, Stanford for like a baseball camp and uh and there Notre Dame was at the camp like I guess coaching and kind of scouting as well so they kind of recruited me there a little bit it wasn't anything formal 
and then so whenever I actually committed there, I, I kind of had that connection already. And they were like, yeah, like, yeah, you can come out, you know, and and basically try out and walk on to the team or whatever. I never had like a, a legitimate, you know, hey, we want you to come play for Notre Dame baseball or whatever. But, um, yeah, they allowed me to go out there and, and walk on. And I guess they found that defensive replacement slash, you know, late game uh, pinch runner uh, was the best fit for me. So I just kind of stuck with it. And, yeah, here I am now. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, playing one sport for a big Division One program is a huge time commitment in itself. It's kind of hard to imagine doing two. So could you walk us through what a day in your life was like in the spring when you were training for football and baseball at the same time? Yeah, man. So spring was definitely the most hectic time a time where I kind of had to like check my mental health <laughs> at times. Man, I cause, bet. Cause you know, you, I'm, I'm up at, you know, spring ball starts. So when spring ball starts, that's like, like you're kind of in the thick of your baseball season. And um, so there were times where I would be up at four thirty, you know, four thirty to get over to the facility at five thirty, five forty five for a six thirty meeting or whatever. And um, so I'm doing that. And from there, uh, I would go to class and, you know, have two or three classes uh, in a day. And then after that last class, uh, I would try to grab something to eat and then go straight to baseball practice uh, after the last class of the day. Yeah, those days were definitely tough. And then some of the days, you know, I, I would have practice in the morning and then I would have to get on a bus, uh, you know, to go with the baseball team because it was a travel day. And we had to go drive to Chicago, get on a plane and fly to wherever we're going. And, uh, you know, some like some of those days like that are tough. Some days we literally have a game like I would do spring practice in the morning and then play in the game that night. So. So, yeah, man, like some of the, like the days were were definitely hectic. There were a lot of light late nights uh, in the computer lab, <laughs> you know, trying to get work done. So, yeah, man, it was it was definitely stressful, but it definitely made me a, a better a better person at the end of the day, man. I, time management. I learned a lot of. <laughs> yeah, I, I shouldn't have ever complained when I was in college about being busy. Like you're putting my schedule to shame. It wasn't even close <laughs> to what yours was. And there were times where like I thought I could handle it. So now I feel a little bit ashamed. But, you know, your dad was in the big leagues for almost 20 years. So you were around baseball all the time as a kid, but you grew up in Texas where football is king. So what was your introduction to football like? And when did you start to realize that football might be the best option for you? Uh, I would say football came about early on. So when, when we first moved to Texas, uh, I joined, you know, flag football and everything like that. So I played it. I played it up until obviously all the way through high school, but there was a time where I was just like, I don't know if I want to play football anymore. Like, I don't know if I like it. Like, I really like basketball. I like basketball. Basketball was what I really liked. I was like fast paced, like whatever. Baseball kind of wasn't getting it done. You know, I was tired of people just like missing balls and all this other stuff. But I was just like, I want to play basketball. It's fast paced, like up and down the court, whatever. And there was a time, like right before I got to middle school, I was like contemplating like not playing football. And, you know, a lot of my, like, peewee coaches or whatever were like, no, you need to keep playing. Like, you can go play, you know, for a long time, whatever. So ended up sticking with it. And then, you know, freshman, sophomore year, high school, uh, my freshman year, I played quarterback. 
uh, on the freshman team, freshman A team. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had a lot of success there. I didn't know if I wanted to continue to play quarterback. But sophomore year, I, I switched to receiver and uh, cornerback. I played both ways. And that was kind of a, a, a point in, a point in my, my football career where I was like, okay, I, I'm kind of good at this. Like, played varsity, had a pretty good varsity season my sophomore year. Junior year, I really, you know, I played receiver only, and I kind of like really kind of stood above, you know, the competition. I was like, okay, like now, you know, you really start kind of understanding like, okay, I can go play at the next level. I feel like I can. And then the offers start rolling in. Okay, now it's kind of cemented. Like, okay, I can play at the next level. Senior year, of course, uh, I committed to Notre Dame to play football. And, um, yeah, man, it it's just kind of like your confidence kind of builds up. Uh, over the years, you know, the more that you just continue to develop and and uh, you just kind of compare yourself, um, you know, just across to, to the competition that you're playing against. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of how I knew it was like, all right, I can I can definitely play at the next level. You mentioned your high school career and th- the two of us are big fans of the movie Friday Night Lights and have kind of always been fascinated by high school football in Texas and how crazy they seem to be about it. So what was your experience like playing big time high school football in Texas? Uh, there's really nothing like it. I, I haven't been to any other states, really. Uh, I think I might have went to like a California football game, but it wasn't. I mean, it was cool, but I don't think it was anything like. Uh, Texas high school football, and I might get a lot of uh, <laughs> flack for that, but it's cool. Uh, I think Texas fo- Texas high school football is, like, the best in the country, man. Because, I, I, like, Friday nights, man, the city kind of shuts down. Uh, my city's a lot bigger now, but when I, I was there, it was kind of a smaller town. City kind of shuts down, you know. Uh, everybody's at the game, you know, packed house, parking, like, standing room only type thing. And to to make it even crazier, my senior year, our our uh, principal would even like give us half days on game days. Like the whole student body had half days. Well, the senior, I think the seniors did, but like we had half days on game days. That's how like serious it was. So he would like he would his reasoning was like, hey, you guys can go like get prepared for the game. Like the students can go get prepared to celebrate or to cheer or whatever. And the players can go, I'm like, dude, like that's unheard of. Right. <laughs> so, and it was only, it was only for the first, the first semester, second semester, you're there the whole time. Right. But it's, it's crazy, man. And um, yeah, man. So people really view it as like, it's a religion out here, man. It's, it's, it's definitely, it's just, I don't know. It's crazy. The city shuts down and everybody's there suited up ready to go you getting trash talked if you don't play well it's like it's crazy it's but <laughs> it's an experience that I wish everybody could you know experience yeah that sounds awesome so coming out of high school you know you were four-star recruiting football with offers from big-time programs all around the country so how did Notre Dame enter the fold and what made you ultimately decide to go there yeah man I <laughs> uh I took a visit to Notre Dame um my in June going into I think June and July going into my uh senior year uh it might have been July um and just the atmosphere as soon as you walk on a campus it was just like dang like I felt like I belong I felt like I belong there and it was just from the professors to the people who showed us around like the tour the tour guides or whatever just that showed us around the coaches 
at the time, you know, made you feel like welcome. You didn't feel like a, a you know, just a, an asset or whatever, just like a pawn, you know, that they're just going to use and then get rid of you. Right. It was more like, hey, if you come here, you're entering a family and, and it's deeper than, you know, just using you to win games and then getting rid of you. Um, so. And and they preached about the 40-year decision and not the four-year decision, right? So uh, that was definitely something that stuck with me because uh, I knew that there was more to sports at the time. I knew that there was other things that you could do outside of sports. And, and, and that message that they gave me was different than a lot of other schools. You know, a lot of other schools, you know, they just preached that, you're going to win games here. You're going to win national championships. You know, you're going to be the best player. And like, obviously that appeals to some people, but you know, you could get hurt <laughs> tomorrow or whatever. Yeah. And all that can be gone. And what's crazy enough, I ended up getting hurt my senior year of high school and breaking my leg. And so, and they honored my scholarship still. And I ended up being still being able to play and everything like that. So, um, that kind of just cemented it. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're really, you know, family oriented and, and they looked out for me. They could have, you know, like any other school, just been like, Hey, you broke your leg in an all-star game. Like, yeah, that was all the army all American game, right? Yeah. Like, right. It was a practice. Yeah. I remember hearing about that now that you mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. And at school, at school could have just been like, Hey, like peace, you know what I'm saying? Like, but, um, uh, they, they honored it and they still believed in, in what I could bring to the table. So, forever grateful for that opportunity for sure. And so once you got to Notre Dame, you really started to break out during that 2015 season on a, a really, really talented team. And we actually talked to, to Malik Zaire a couple of months ago, and he said that going into that season, the team's mindset was that you guys were basically fitting your rings before the season started because of how much talent was on the roster. So how did you feel going into that season, given the fact that it was going to be your first real opportunity to get playing time on the college level? Uh, man, like, like he said, man, there was just, there was a lot of confidence, uh, you know, in that locker room. I think we really believed in ourselves. We believed in each other. We believed in our coaches. We believed in all the hard work that we put in. We literally, I think we worked really hard that off season and just try to like get everybody on the same page. Right. Uh, I think that year more than anything that was really stressed. And, uh, so we were, like he said, we were really confident going into that season. Um, we knew that we had a talent to win a national championship and um, that was kind of our mindset going into it. And even after that Clemson loss that year, like we were still, you know, Hey, we can still get it done. We fell short, but it, I mean, that was, that was definitely our mindset. Like you said, we we really thought that, you know, we had a chance to compete with anybody in the country that year. How about you? How did you feel? I mean, coming off that pretty brutal injury, now you're back in the fold and you're going to get some playing time. Did you feel pretty confident in yourself? Uh, yeah, I did, man. I had a, I felt like I had a good spring. I felt like my fall camp or whatever went really well. And, uh, I really had a, a solid grasp on the playbook. So it was like, you could pretty much put me wherever you wanted to put me in and I could, uh, go out there and execute the play. So, um, that was a big, I guess, uh, task for me that I wanted to accomplish was like, Hey, I need to learn this playbook inside out and wherever they, you know, need to put me, they can put me. And I think, uh, and our offensive coordinator at the time was uh, Mike Denbrock, Coach Denbrock, and he uh, he had challenged me with that task. And uh, 
so yeah, that was really important to me at the time was just being able to learn that playbook inside out so that I could see the field as much as possible. You mentioned that Clemson game and you had an awesome game. And I think as a receiver catching a ball in the middle of the hurricane, like how hard was that? It looked impossible on TV. So what was that like? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think watching like watching back and looking at the game, you can't really tell that how hard it was raining. Luke was there. Yeah, it, it rained for like 24 hours straight down there. Like, I've never seen anything like that. It was horrible, right? It was raining yeah. sideways. Yeah, it was terrible. And so, uh, dude, it was, it was like really stressful, man, because you like think you can just kind of catch it like normal, but you really have to like catch it and like secure it and look it all the way in. And um, so you might sacrifice yards, but you got to make the catch. Yeah, man, it was it was definitely t- a, a, a a scary a scary task, you know, catching that football because you didn't want to drop. I actually had to drop past that game, and I was really upset at myself for it because I hate dropping passes. Uh, but I had to drop past it. It was wide open, and I just <laughs> went up to catch it and went straight through. Uh, but that's why whenever I had that pass in the end zone, I <laughs> bodied it up, man. I, <laughs> I couldn't drop another pass. That was too crucial. But, um, yeah, man, it was uh, it was definitely tough to catch that catch passes that game. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that huge catch you did have that gave you guys a chance to, to tie it up. What was that like, you know, just knowing the play was going to you in, in such a big spot? What's it like getting your number called in, in a big spot like that? Yeah, man, like, I don't know, man. Like I said, I knew I had to make the catch uh, by any means necessary. I wanted the win. I knew my team wanted the win, and they were counting on me to make the play. So I knew I had to make that catch by any means necessary. So, um, yeah, it was – I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. I just knew my number was called, so I had to go make the play, bro. That's really my mindset at that moment. I was – obviously, I was kind of, like, jittery and, like, antsy before the play because I'm like, this is it. This is, like – this is like history. Like if we, if I catch this and then we go on to win the game, this is like big time. Uh, so it was definitely a big moment for me, but uh had to calm myself down and go make the play. Simple as that. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to watch it back because like, it was so awesome in that moment when you made the catch, I know I was going crazy and though, you know, it did work out in that game and that season. So we'll fast forward to 2016 where, everything seemed to go wrong for the team that year and it didn't start off well for you either you suffered a concussion on a hit that absolutely should have been targeting it was probably the most egregious targeting call I've ever seen but somehow wasn't called and you know you suffered a bad concussion in that and in the aftermath how much did that play specifically change your outlook on football and sort of the path you wanted to go yeah man and I think that probably was the one of the turning points um, of my football career um mainly because till this day I don't remember anything after the hit so I mean I caught the pass like I remember like catching the pass and then after I got hit I don't remember I don't remember laying on the ground I don't remember trying to get up like it's, it's like you see in the video um I don't remember getting up walking into the locker room the next time I remember is whenever uh, I was sitting on the training table and they were asking me like my name. They're like, Hey, what's your name? Whatever. And I'm like, I said, Tori, obviously, but they were like, do you know what quarter it is? And I was like, no, I have no idea what quarter it is. Like, they were like, do you remember to play? I was like, no, I don't remember to play. Like, and then like, as time went on, uh, 
you know, I started to kind of remember bits and pieces of the play. I remember kind of catching the ball, but um, that's like probably the most like scared I've been uh, because like losing memory is like, is weird. Like, you know, you might not really understand like, or try to can wrap your head around like losing like a memory of something that happened to you. Like people are telling you like, Hey, this is what happened. And you can't recall that. Like that's, that's definitely scary. So, um, and then seeing my family there worried and my, my fiance at the time was there and she was worried. And I'm like, golly, like I can't, I probably can't do this again. If it was that bad and who knows, maybe I, you could like in football, you probably had plenty more concussions prior to that. Right. Oh yeah. That, that you, you kind of like, ah, shake it off, whatever. And you just go back out there. And so who knows how many I had prior to that, that moment. And so, yeah, man, I, it was, it was a turning point for me. It was, it was scary. Uh, And yeah, that's really, that's really what it was for me, man. It was, it was just a scary moment. And uh, just seeing my, my loved ones there worried about me, it was, uh, was enough. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine that. Um, I guess one other question we had for you is how big of an adjustment was it from going from playing football at a big-time program like Notre Dame to, to playing single-A baseball, which obviously doesn't come with, with quite the same amount of glamour? Yeah, uh, it's a, definitely a big difference, man. Um, you know, you go from staying in really nice hotels and charter planes and getting your own seat on the bus and <laughs> – getting your own seat on the plane, getting your own row on the plane, different things like that, that, you know, you don't, you might take advantage of, or, you know, you, you, you might not really appreciate it at the time, but uh, I knew what I was getting myself into, man. You know, minor mm-hmm. leagues, uh, it's no secret what you're getting yourself into. Um, so uh, it's definitely a, you know, a level down for sure. Uh, as far as, you know, amenities and, uh, you know, where you stay and the bus you drive and all these different things. But uh, going through it with other guys, you know, at the same time that have the same common goal as you, it, it makes it it makes it a lot easier for sure, because um, you you make lifelong friends, you know, it, when you go through something together. Right. When you go through hell together, like you be you, you can relate on on a certain level that other people just can't. So obviously you can gravitate toward them and uh lift each other up and and so I've made a lot of really close friends uh you know playing baseball going through this minor league system. All right, I know you got stuff to do so we'll wrap things up with a couple of rapid fire questions. So you said you were really good at basketball. You played D1 college football and now you're playing pro baseball. Is there a sport you've tried that you weren't awesome at? <laughs> No. <laughs> Appreciate the honesty. No, probably golf. Probably golf. Well, that's I'm everyone. Sure. Yeah, golf's hard yeah. for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Man. All right. Um, who was the best football player you played against in college? Oh, probably Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, hard to argue with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Our next one is a question we ask all former Notre Dame students. What's the weirdest thing you've seen during a night out in South Bend? <laughs> Oh God! Um, oh my God! I don't know if I want to. Say it. <laughs> All right, we'll say it, and then we'll decide whether we can cut it. <laughs> oh gosh! Um, 
So I was at a a, a party and what I assume was a, a madam came out and was trying to like guess get us to go. Yeah. It was definitely the weirdest thing because I was kind of thrown off and I don't know if it was like a cross dressing dude. Anyways. That sounds like South Bend <laughs> in a nutshell. You no, never really know I what's going up, on. I gave you pieces. I gave you yeah. pieces. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll connect the dots. That's kind of all you need. Um, and then last question. Uh, you got a score prediction for Saturday's game against Clemson? Ooh. 38-35 Irish. I think both quarterbacks are going to be like – they're going to play really well. And like I said, that's why I think the score is going to be close. And I think it's going to come down to a field goal. And Book is playing at a really high level, the highest level I've ever seen him play. And the defense is really like a brick wall right now. So I think if they can be pretty stout in the, in the run defense and the uh, with ETN, he's a dog. So if they can if they can stop him like they did the first game, you know, hold their own in the air, I think they'll be fine. All right, Troy, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon, okay? No problem, brother. Y'all have a good one. All right, we're joined now by Nick Wisher, former Notre Dame tight end in class of 2018. Uh, we're just a few days removed from Wish Fest, which is a one-night music fest put on by Nick's family's foundation called Wish Forever, which provides financial support to families battling cancer. Obviously, it went down a little differently this year due to the pandemic, but you guys were still able to raise a bunch of money for a great cause. So, Nick, could you describe the work you guys do throughout the year and how people listening can contribute? Yeah, absolutely. So my family started the Andrew Wisher Foundation um, in memory of my older brother, Andrew, who passed away from colorectal cancer in 2012. Um, before he passed, his kind of last wish to my family and I was to be able to pay forward the kindness and generosity that he was shown throughout his battle. Um, so throughout you know, his, his few two-year battle with cancer, we, uh, we were shown so much love and support by the Southside community. Um, you know, we literally had thousands of people come to our doorstep and offer any help they could. They offered meals, um, you know, transportation, whatever we needed. Uh, and, and, and that was the kind of love and support my brother wanted, um, you know, a lot of people to feel. So with that, um, you know, we created the Andrew Wisher Foundation and uh, Wish Fest has become our main fundraiser. Uh, it, as you mentioned, it's an all day music festival, uh, usually held on the south side of Chicago at, at Bourbon Street. Um, and, you know, we have tons of national acts that come in and, and kind of, you know, just it's just a really fun party atmosphere. And obviously this year with COVID, we had to, um, you know, change things up a bit. So we went virtual with it. And uh, last Friday, we, we held the uh, the Wish Fest at Home 2020 edition. And it was uh, it was awesome. You know, we had uh, Old Dominion, Walker Hayes, OAR, Dispatch all made appearances on the show. Um, you know, the guys at Barstool Chicago. Uh, and Big Cat um, made appearances as well. So we were able to raise over $225,000 and donations are still uh, rolling in. So, um, you know, all this, all the donations and, and proceeds go directly to families impacted by cancer. Um, so we kind of focus on that AYA segment, which means, um, you know, adolescents and young adults, which is kind of an underserved population between, you know, 16 to 36 years old. So, um, you know, we're able to give, these, these proceeds directly to families that need it. And to date we've raised over, I think like $1.6 million and um, you know, are on track to help around 300 families. So it's been a lot of fun seeing it grow and just lucky to be a part of it. No, absolutely. That's fantastic. And you mentioned being from the South side of Chicago and, and as a 
guy from the Chicago suburbs myself. I, I have to ask a little bit about your Chicago sports background. I, I was told that you played on a basketball team growing up with Miles Boykin and Max Struess, former Lewis Flyer legend before he transferred to DePaul and became a star there, and, and now he's with the Heat. So I got to ask, did you guys ever lose a game? Um, we lost a few. There, there It wasn't a lot. Um, you know, we, we played a lot of great competition, you know, kind of throughout the country. But, um, yeah, it was, it was just an incredible team. Um, obviously us three. And then we also had Sam Connolly who played at Mount Carmel and then he went on to play football, played linebacker at Miami of Ohio. Uh, we had Sean Leland who went on to, to pitch at the university of Illinois baseball. Um, so we were, we were stacked. We had a lot of great talent. Um, you know, just awesome guys too. friends with those guys for life. And yeah, we, uh, we, we didn't lose a lot. That's for sure. It was, it was a great time. What age group were you guys when you played together? Yeah, so we started off, I joined the team like when I was in fifth grade. So we played from fifth grade all the way up until uh, eighth grade. Miles was a year younger than us, but he played up. Um, you know, he was just really good. So he was able to play up a level. And uh, yeah, so all of us were, were together from fifth to eighth grade. That's nuts. And I looked it up. You still hold the record for most career receptions of any player in Illinois high school football history uh, from your time at Marist High School. So it's no surprise, you know, you generate a lot of attention for big time programs and how did you sort of approach your recruiting process? Yeah. So for me, it was, um, you know, I was focusing on more on the academic schools. So that was a big piece. Um, and I wanted to be able to stay relatively close to home. Um, so kind of putting those two things together, I was, uh, I, my top three, I kind of narrowed it down to Michigan, uh, Notre Dame and Northwestern, um, all obviously, you know, great academic schools, but, um, you know, great football programs as well. But, um, it's kind of funny how it happened when I, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily, I, I knew Notre Dame was the place, but I just was still kind of waiting for, for whatever reason. And there was one day, um, I got a call from the Michigan coaches saying, Hey, uh, we can only take one tight end, uh, this class. And, um, you know, somebody just committed, um, so that, you know, that, that kind of took Michigan off the board. So, um, then you now I was kind of panicking. I didn't want that to happen again. Um, and I always knew Notre Dame was, was the place for me. So I kind of took that as the sign to, and as soon as I got that call from Michigan, I, I committed to Notre Dame. So, um, you know, didn't want that, that opportunity to leave and, um, you know, just extremely happy. That's kind of how it worked out and, you know, couldn't be, uh, you know, more proud of my choice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think fair to say it, it worked out. Um, I, I also had to ask, we interviewed Sam Bush and Logan Plants a couple months ago. And, and when we asked them about early on in your career, the grind of being on the scout team, Sam brought your name up and said that whenever you played on the scout team early on with Gummy Van Gorder, you guys just had an unbelievable connection. So did you two just dominate the starters whenever you played on the scout team? Yeah, man, that was a blast. That was an incredible scout. I mean, we had, you know, obviously those guys and we had, um, Bar, Alex Bars, Quentin Nelson. Um, so it was just an incredible, uh, you know, incredible uh, just team of guys on that scout team. But um, I just took it as, you know, for me, I just wanted to get better and better every day. And, you know, coming from high school, I was a, a receiver, so I didn't know how to block at all. And I took that, um, you know, I basically became a, another O-line for that scout team is the way I took it and, and wanted to be able to uh, to work on my blocking skills. But um, also Gummy was, yeah, for, for whatever reason, I mean, Gummy was, um, we just had a great, great connection, great relationship. And, uh, you know, we were able to do some damage to those starters. Uh, it was a ton of fun and those guys really appreciated it because we gave them great looks every week. And, um, it was just a lot of fun to, to, to kind of get your career started that way. Obviously, you know, it's no one, when they're going to Notre Dame wants to be on the scout team, but 
you know, once that's kind of your place, you, you realize you're there to get better. Um, and you can kind of get the guys around you better as well and prepare them for the game day on Saturday. And that was our mindset. And, um, you know, the whole scout team did a really, really good job. That's a pretty damn good scout team, too, with Quentin Nelson, Alex Mars, and you. Like, at least some of those were maybe even better than the starters. Yeah, no, it was uh, it, it was incredible. And Sam Mustafer was there, too. And, um, yeah, we, we got after it. You know, it's all of us. We obviously it wasn't necessarily the way, like I said, the way we wanted to start our careers. But once we kind of um, realized our roles and, you know, it's where we kind of accepted that that red shirt. Um, we, we decided to do something about it and just kind of make the guys better around us. And um, it was it was an incredible, incredible group of guys. Now, I guess once you did start seeing the field and, and really being a main part of that offense, you might have been the most efficient tight end in school history. And I mean by that, you scored a touchdown on like 25% of your career receptions, uh, finished with four touchdowns total in your career. And the first game against Temple in the 2017 season opener. So was that play going to you the whole way? And, and what were your emotions like once that play was over? Yeah, man, that was incredible. Um, I always remember it. And it, it wasn't necessarily drawn up for me. Um, it was, you know, I'm kind of, I was probably the the third or maybe even fourth option on that play. Um, I remember it's kind of a rollout to the left and I'm just cross, I'm a, I'm a crossing route from the backside. And, um, you know, I can't even, I probably never even got that ball thrown to me in practice, but all of a sudden, you know, and the game comes by, I was, for whatever reason, Brandon decided to throw it. He zinged it in there, which was just, an amazing, amazing ball. I don't even know how he got that in there, but was able to get my hands on it and bring it down. And from there, I, it, I just kind of blacked out, honestly. Like, I don't even remember what happened. Like, after I caught it, I don't I don't remember celebrating or any of that. I just remember on the sideline. So it was uh, just an incredible experience. Another one of those touchdowns came against Stanford in 2018 to put Notre Dame up a touchdown. And you were, like, wide open. Ian didn't make it easy on you. You had to jump up in the air and, like, rip it out of the sky. But still very impressive. And that was also Book's first home start. You know, so you've witnessed Book's career development as much as anyone, really. So be honest. Did you think he was capable of being the player he is now when you first saw him on the team? Um. Honestly, no, I, I didn't think that. And, you know, Book has always been an incredible player just with that incredible, um, you know, he's just always been a super accurate thrower. Um, and that's, I think that's what is separating him now. But even more so was is just the confidence he's developed. Um, you know, even from when I played with him two years ago to where he's at today, it's, it's just leaps and bounds in terms of his, you know, kind of confidence and swagger on the field. He's making plays. I mean, he's rolling out with his feet, doing things that, you know, I never saw him do. I guess I always kind of knew it was in him because if you go back and let's look at his high school film, like this is this is what he was doing in high school too. Um, but he's just uh, he's been incredible. He's he's a super hardworking kid, super humble kid. Um, so I'm not surprised that that he's here, but I definitely didn't expect it um, to be to be this good. Um, but you know, you're kind of putting it all together. It 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 makes sense, honestly. So playing the tight end position at Notre Dame is obviously a huge deal if you look at just the different star players that have come through that position over the past couple decades. And the current group on the roster is really sort of living up to that name. Really deep room. You have Tommy Tremble, who's maybe the best blocking tight end in the country. And then you have one five-star freshman in Michael Mayer, who's becoming a household name pretty quickly. So from someone who played the position at Notre Dame, what impresses you the most about that group? Yeah, they're, they're all studs. Um, it's just, it's so impressive how deep they are. I mean, even, you know, George Takis, who I played with a few years is, is a really, really good player. And, you know, we don't get to see him out there as much as, as some of these other guys, but 
um, you know, from him to, to Brock Wright, to Tommy, to, to Michael. I, I don't know Michael very well other than just watching him on Saturdays now, but they're all uh, just the best part about them is they're all so willing to block. You know, the, the, the glory comes from catching passes and things like that. But what makes you truly a, a great tight end is the ability to get your you know, hand in the ground and be able to make stuff happen and open up running lanes. Um, as a tight end, we're always at the point of attack. So, um, you know, your, your blocks are always going noticed, you know, when you're just kind of watching from an outsider looking in there, you either, you know, are, are making the block or you're the one getting blamed for missing the block because well, again, we're always at the point of attack. So that's the, the most impressive part for these guys is just their willingness to, to get, uh, you know, to get their hands in the dirt and, uh, make, move some guys. Um, that's, that's the best part. And that's what I'm most proud of kind of leaving that room is that was what I took pride into. So it's good to see that, that they were able to, uh, kind of take that to the next level and really, um, take pride in that as a room and as a, um, a unit as a whole. So from a player's perspective, do you think Notre Dame puts more of an emphasis on the tight end position than other schools? I mean, like Luke said, there's been a bunch of stars in the past, but it seems like a priority and been like a fixture of the Notre Dame offense to have a bunch of production out of the tight ends. So did you notice that at all when you were recruiting or maybe from talking to other guys who play at different schools that Notre Dame just cares more about the position or utilizes it a lot more? Yeah, for sure. I just think as a, you know, as a top tight end recruit in the country, like getting an offer from Notre Dame, you know, means that one, that you're one of the best. They only, you know, they're only recruiting the best of that position. And, you know, there's only a limited amount of offers that they give at that position each year. So when you get that offer, you immediately, you know, as a, as a tight end, you can't uh, take that lightly just because you, there's so much rich tradition and, um, you know, even tradition aside, just the, uh, the energy and the focus that they put at that position within their offense every single year, regardless of, um, you know, offensive coordinator in there, it's, uh, you know, it's huge. And that's what I think it's, um, you definitely feel that as a recruit. And, um, you know, that's why it's so cool just because whoever is that, you know, it stems from coach Kelly, coach Kelly has always had great off, you know, great tight ends in his offense. Um, and so to be one of those guys that are getting recruited by coach Kelly at that position is pretty special. And that just kind of gives you a little bit of confidence too, just a little, uh, just to know that you're good enough to, to be recruited like that. And, you know, you got to go show it once you get there. So, um, you know, it's definitely pretty special. Yeah. And, and I know you said you don't know him as well. It makes sense. Your timelines don't overlap, but just from what you've observed this season, what do you think the ceiling is for a guy like Michael Mayer? I mean, it's unlimited, honestly. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's what he wants to make it. He just got to keep working hard. He has all the, the physical tools, um, you know, he just got to become a student of the game. Um, that just comes with, you know, experience out there is, is being able to kind of dissect defenses before they even make their plays. Um, and that, that will help him in the, uh, the running game as well, making blocks, is understanding, all right, if we got a blitz on the left side, everyone's going to be looping right, right. If you're at a right tight end, you're going to have to, you know, the guy's going to become a nine rather than a six, just things like that where, you know, it comes with experience and, you know, being around the game a little bit. And, and that makes his job a lot easier. So, um, like I said, obviously the, the catching passes is what brings the glory, but being able to do both at a very high level, which, um, you know, he's been doing, he's, he's been unbelievable at both parts. So he just got to keep it up and, and keep growing that way. Um, and I, what I think really separates him is his ability after the catch to, to catch and run and break tackles. Um, that was something at Notre Dame that, you know, we didn't, when I was there, we, we always, we didn't have that guy that was able to do that. Um, 
you know, we had a lot of great tight ends, but there wasn't a, a lot of us that were able to kind of, you know, be shedding tacklers off left and right and, and able to run for an extra eight to 10 yards. Right. So I think that's what makes him very special is, is that ability to, once he does get the ball in his hands, you know, the, the first two tacklers aren't bringing him down. It's going to take more than that. So I think that's what, uh, you know, really makes him special. You mentioned that you hadn't blocked much coming out of high school. And I imagine that's pretty typical, especially like in your case, when you had, I think, 257 receptions for your team. Like you don't really need to block that much when you're that productive. So what is that like for you? Like, How big of an adjustment is it coming from, you know, you're basically a borderline wide receiver in high school, just catching passes. And then you come on to Notre Dame and they put a huge emphasis on blocking right away. How tough is that for you and for other tight ends who are in your position? Yeah, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't very tough for me to like, you know, accept that because the way I saw it, that was going to be the, my ticket to, to, to playing, right? Because if you can't do that, no matter how good of a, you know, a pass catcher you are, you can't be relied on to be a three down tight end, you know, three, four down tight end, if you can't, you know, get that blocking piece. So I always had confidence in my ability to, to catch balls and get open on pass routes like that. But that, um, that blocking piece was some, the, the, the part that I needed to, to see the field. Um, so that's really what I worked hard on. Um, and so being, you know, being that red shirt that I, I took that to, you know, took that to heart and, um, you know, every practice learning from those offensive linemen, spending a lot of time with them trying to just figure it out um, and going against guys like Romeo, Quara, Isaac Rochelle, um, you know, guys that are dominating the NFL now. And, and as a, as a true freshman trying to block those guys every day at practice and, you know, get my butt kicked left and right, like, you know, you, you adapt quick, you know, you figure it out. So that, um, that was what helped me really get my game to the next level and propelled me to be able to, to step in and, and play a lot the next four years after that. So you were there in, in 2018 when the Irish played Clemson in, in the Cotton Bowl. And obviously we've already seen Notre Dame beat Clemson once this season. Um, obviously that 2018 game as well had a couple of things that I think we'd all like back, breaks, injuries, et cetera. But what you know has made up that difference from that 30-3 to deficit or loss in 2018 to, to winning in double overtime this year? What, what do you think is, I guess, you know, what's led to that jump? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good question. And when I look back at that year, I, I feel like we, we did have a lot of similar traits as a team. Um, I, I think it just kind of what it comes down to, and, and our defense was, was obviously really good back then too, but there's something about this year's defense. You know, they're, they're very, you know, to, to, to be able to stop a guy like Etienne and some of these other running backs that they've been doing, uh, we never really showed that on, on our, um, on that team in, in 18. So there's something about what that, what that defense is doing and just their, their entire mindset of being able to, to shut down these big time running backs. Um, and, you know, not, not let the yardage rack up on them. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and just an overall just mindset of the entire team, I think is what was similar to ours too, is just, you know, being able to rely on each other and having that really tight close knit bond and, I think it helps that there are they are extremely experienced too. So we were as well, which was great to you know to to be able to lean on that and lean on your older guys to make plays when when the time comes. But um, yeah, I think that those are probably the biggest things. All right, we are just a few days away from the ACC championship game, so we got to ask: Can you give us a score prediction and maybe uh, some expert analysis on what's going to happen on Saturday? Oh man, I wish I could take my own expert analysis and uh, you know make a little money on it with all these gambling going on these days. But um, I, I think it's going to be a great, uh, great day for the Irish. Um, I think just you know led by a fifth-year senior quarterback Ian Book and 
you know, that, that, that great offensive lineman they have in front of them. I think it's going to be a great day for Kyron in the, in the running backs. I think they're going to, uh, you know, really shove it down their throat and, and, and be dangerous, uh, be pretty lethal that way. Um, I think our defense is going to have another great day against stopping um, Etienne. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence being back will open up things a little bit for them in the passing game, but um, have confidence in the secondary to be able to, uh, you know, be able to make some plays when when called upon. So I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be a pretty high, you know, medium scoring game. I'm going to look at like probably I'm going to go Irish by seven. So we'll go 34 to 27 Irish. All right, I'm cool with that. Yeah, no, I definitely am too. <laughs> All right, so we'll wrap up here with some rapid-fire questions. Uh, this one is actually a fan-submitted question. How many times did you throw up on the practice field during your four years at Notre Dame? Many times. Um, <laughs> I I can't even give you a, an accurate number. Pretty much any time we were out on the field running in terms of like work, workouts, practice, it, uh, it wasn't that much an actual practice um, other than like in camp when we were at Culver Academy, I was just never very good in the heat. And whatever reason, when I was practicing in the heat, it, it would get to me. So I was, I was a big, uh, a big grow up guy, but you know, it never stopped me just kind of, uh, whether it be in the middle of a play, you just kind of, you know, lean to the side, let out a little The defense hate, hated that. That's for sure. But, Oh, you did it on the field. Oh yeah. I mean, you gotta, <laughs> oh, you gotta, do, you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it never. I'm not sure it, how that would fly in a COVID season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's all right. That's why uh, you know they don't have to worry about me now. But yeah, it was, it was many times. Did you ever throw up on a player? I can't. Well, I can, definitely came pretty close. I don't. I, I probably did um, without oh them. I mean, just kind of like when you have your hand in the dirt as a tight end, right? And I just let out a little bit, maybe on a D lineman in front of me. Who knows? Oh man, that is great. Um, unrelated. Um, who was the best basketball player on the football team? Dang, I got to think about that one a little bit. That's that's a good question. We had a lot of really good talent. I didn't. Uh, I never really got to show my talent on the basketball field because I I was really I had bad ankles just in terms of like going on the basketball court. So I never trusted myself to do it because I didn't want to get hurt. Obviously, um, you know, Mike, guys like Michael Gunji will say that was an excuse, but. Um, I would say McGlinchey was very good. Quentin Nelson was really good. Um, but guys like, I'm trying to think that there was Tory Hunter um, was really good. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Um, and I think EQ, EQ was, oh no, Claypool. Claypool was the other one that was just dominant out there. So there were a lot of great players and um yeah, I, w- I would say I would say any of those guys you could pick from that would be really good. Okay, so your basketball skills are kind of like an urban legend. Like I promise you guys, I was awesome back in the day. Did everyone believe you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, they, it, it is kind of that urban legend. Nobody really believed me, but um, <laughs> you know, I I do have the the high school tape to to prove it. Um, but yeah, in, in college they they weren't very existent, other than you know just a few. You know, just few pickups, just kind of, I would go in the paint, just kind of hang out around the arc, right? But that was never my game in high school. I was more of a, you know, more of a big in high school. All right. Well, I believe you. We got two more. Hypothetically, you're playing a game of high stakes beer pong and your life's on the line. Who are you picking as your partner? Tyler Newsom. Wow. No hesitation there either. <laughs> no, we, we talk about it all the time. We, uh, we one time were at Corby's. Uh, and we, we literally were ran the table for three and a half hours straight, not Corby, sorry. Um, 
old Finney's where we were up top, like on that, on yep. that ceiling yep. level. Yeah. Yep. Do you make some money at least? Yeah, we made a couple bucks, but it was mostly <laughs> just pride. Like we honestly got to one point where we were like tired of winning just because we were there all night. <laughs> but we get we got the drink you for free because of it. Night, yeah. Now I guess um, in line with that, I'm sure this is this could go a lot of different ways, but it's a question we ask every Notre Dame student that comes on this podcast. What's the weirdest thing you ever saw during a night out in South Bend? Oh man, um, South Bend is a weird place. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, I would say, you know, I've just a lot of gross things. Like, you know, there's a lot of weird people, and you just kind of leave at a bar at like two thirty. You see, I saw a homeless guy taking a dump like right in the middle, right when you walk out of CJ's. That was that was weird. Um, and you know, you just see a lot, just weird college kid stuff, like people peeing on the bar and things like that. Um, but I would say probably the homeless guy taking a dump would, would take the cake. Yeah, that's about par for the course. But all right, that's Nick Wisher. Remember to check out the Wish Forever Foundation to help out a great cause. Thanks for the time, Nick. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. That was Tory Hunter Jr. and Nick Wisher. Really awesome talking to both of those guys. Wanted to give you all uh, a long episode this week to – Really make all up for all the anticipation that I know this week is bringing all of us. Uh, I'm not doing well trying to do my real job this week, candidly. Like, I hate that it's Monday night because I have a lot to do, but it'll all soon be okay when on Friday afternoon I'm at the Chili's 2 at O'Hare uh, drinking a good luck margarita prior to boarding my flight to Charlotte. Uh, book my flight for those hours specifically when, when Chili's is open because that place is the Mecca. And uh, I think if we're going to take home a title that we're eventually going to throw in the trash on the flight home, I, I need to, to do this right. Yeah, I think the good juju of you going to the Mecca, the Chili's at O'Hare, and people might think we're joking. No, this no, is dead serious. Dead serious. I used to, yeah, last fall when I was traveling a lot. Uh, I would strategically try to plan my layovers around places that had chilies, but there are no airport chilies quite like the one at O'Hare. So, yeah, I think if you go there, you have your good luck margarita, that'll counter my presence at the game, and the negative juju will be canceled out by your positives. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we're doing this. And I'm also equally as serious about throwing the ACC championship trophy in the trash after this and just saying, see ya, just a little quick pump and dump there. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's... one hell of a one-night stand with the ACC. <laughs> yeah. Just take the trophy and run. Do we have to give it back or do we just keep it? No, I'm serious. We throw it in the trash. <laughs> like we're not. Nobody's keeping it. They're not. Like It's just done. Like That's what we think of them. Do you think the all the ACC stuff in the stadium and around like the facility, do you think that's all gone already? They're not going back. Um, I bet it's off the field. I don't know about the other stuff. I mean, but it will be like by Saturday at, let's say, 8.35 Eastern Standard Time. It's also a good omen, too, that Jim Phillips, the Northwestern AD, he's now the, or he's going to be the ACC commissioner. He has good ties with Notre Dame, big Notre Dame guy. So I think this truly will be a one and done thing. And uh, we're not going to have to play in a conference championship anytime soon, which is good because as the committee has shown, in the past week or so. That doesn't matter. That extra data point, it doesn't really matter. All right, but that's it for this episode of Sons of Saturday. Um, we'll talk to you guys again next week after Notre Dame wins the ACC Championship in Charlotte. We'll see you then. Go Irish.